0: 1 Corinthians chapter 7, last week we were there and we made it down to about verse 6 and we kind of ran out of time and cut off. We had read through verse 9 and we probably ain't going to finish some of this tonight. We read through verse 9 and I wanted to finish it up, but obviously we didn't. So we'll just kind of pick up there at verse 6 and 7. We were looking at where Paul's talking about marriage here in this particular chapter and he's dealing with um, parts of marriage. And he talked last week about how when we get married, we surrender ourselves to our mate, to our to our other, and, and we're no longer in sole possession of our own body. We trade that off. Um, they they take, I guess you'd say, partial possession as well, and, and that we don't have any right to withhold ourselves from each other except for the case of prayer and fasting at time, and even then only by agreement. And as soon as the agreement time is ended, that we're to come back together again lest we be tempted by Satan. Um, tonight in... Chapter 7 and verse number 7, Paul said, For I would that all men were even as I myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I, but if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. So so what we see here in the Apostle Paul, and we'll look at some more of this chapter tonight, we'll go through it kind of verse by verse, but, but we see that Paul has a desire. He mentions this desire, and then we see some discernment, and then we see a declaration. The desire, he says there, is that all men were even as I myself. But there's discernment to that. He understands that everybody's not going to be like him. Some people are just going to have to be married. Um, so the discernment is that, that it's not God's way that everybody be like him. Thank God it's not God's way that everybody be like me. It's not God's way that everybody be like you, but to each is his own, and God has made each one who they are. And then, of course, the declaration there um, to the unmarried and the widows, it's good for them that they abide even as I. Verse 9 says, But even if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn. So, as I said last week, Paul is not in any way teaching against marriage. Paul doesn't believe against marriage. Paul's not forbidding marriage. In his first letter to Timothy, chapter 5 and verse 14, he said, I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Matthew, chapter 19, Jesus was asked a question about marriage. Um, the, the Pharisees came to him as he was teaching and it says in verse number one of Matthew chapter 19, it came to pass when Jesus had finished his sayings, he departed from Galilee, came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan and great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came, tempting him, saying to him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? He answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh? Wherefore, they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except to be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. His disciples say unto him, If the case of the man be so with his wife, it's not good to marry. But he said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. For there are some eunuchs which were born from their mother's womb. There are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. So Paul says in his teaching that while it's good for he himself to remain single, neither he nor the word of God at any point in time says that we're supposed to stay single. Amen. Amen. He that is able to receive it let him receive it. Verse number 9 says, If they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. That word burn comes from a word that means to to glow with heat. It's translated as fiery. It's the same word from where we get the fiery darts of the devil. So Paul is saying, It's definitely better to be married than to burn with lust and be tempted by the fiery darts of the tempter. The words cannot contain from verse number 9 there means self-control. So Paul is simply saying, For those who lack self-control it's better to be married than to burn with desire and then he turns from the unmarried to the married in verse number 10 he starts out with a command he says to the married unto unto the married I command yet not I but the Lord let not the wife depart from her husband but if she depart let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband And let not the husband put away his wife so he says to those that are married it is a command that you remain married now, we saw there in chapter 19, I'm going to read it again, Jesus gave the only exception to that, um, dealing with fornication. But the marriage vow in the New Testament, according to the Word of God, is both binding and permanent. Paul says, let not the wife depart. Now, how many would agree that in marriage there are difficulties that arise? Amen. See, I can say that because my wife's over there but I know y'all going to go tell us so I ain't. Some of you got your wife and husband sitting there so you can't say it too loud, but I heard a whole lot of thinking going on out there. Verse number 12, Paul begins to deal with a totally different set of circumstances. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be, not pleased, to dwell, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. He's dealing here with the situation of where one of the two gets saved after they got married. Thank God that does happen. He'll deal, when we get over into 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he will deal with unequally yoked, um, where the Bible teaches that we're not to be unequally yoked, we are not to marry. As a child of God, we're not to marry an unbeliever. That's not what he's dealing with here in this letter. In this letter, he's dealing with the difficulties that arise when one of the two parties becomes saved after they've been married and the other one is still lost. When one of them gets saved, the other person is no longer married to the same one they used to be married to. I hope somebody said amen because there had to be a difference in your life when you got saved. If we truly got saved, there was a radical difference Change in our lifestyle. There is a radical change in our behavior. We have a whole new attitude. We have a whole new outlook on life. We see things differently of what's important and what's not important. There's changes in the things that we like and the things that we dislike, changes in the choices that we make, changes in the things that we do, changes in the places that we go. there's even changes in the things that we desire. Anybody save, say amen. Things that we used to do together, when when you look at a couple that one got saved and the other one didn't, you take the things that they used to do together, and one of them is no longer desirable of doing those things because they're a totally different person. The places that they used to go together, the one that got saved no longer wants to go to those places the things that they used to do together that were things of sinful nature, they no longer have a desire to do those things because they became a child of God. They are totally different people. All things truly have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So that lost person that is married to this person that is now saved is literally married to a totally different person. And we just think we have difficulties to deal with in a marriage. There's a lot of adjustments within a, a married life. But when one of the partners becomes saved and there's a radical difference, can you imagine the change? Some of you may have lived that before. I don't know. Robin and I both got saved before we got married. Um, but some of you may have lived that. You may know what I'm talking about Um because what has happened one of the two has literally according to the scriptures passed from death unto life they they have now become a temple of the living god the satan's no longer allowed there before they are a citizen of a new country a pilgrim passing through headed for another land they they no longer have that same relationship with their other partner because they are a totally different person Things that they used to love doing, it for me myself, I know when I got saved, things that you used to love doing now make you sick. You have no desire to even consider any of those things. And and now we love and desire coming to church. We love singing about the old rugged cross that will always and forever be our landmark. We love singing about the blood of Jesus, things that we used to wouldn't be caught dead doing. Now the things that we love doing because it reminds us of Jesus Christ that saved us and washed away our sins and gave us an eternal home. Everything changed. Old things passed away. But the partner for life is still caught in the old way. They're still holding on to the old patterns, holding on to the old stuff, holding on to the old habits and still has the old desires and, and hanging on to the old pleasures, thinking back uh, of things, wanting things to be the way they were. In In that situation... What we have is a great divide. I was, I was thinking along that passage and I was, I was trying to think and I believe this would be the scripture that the Lord would give me to use to try to describe what happens when one of the two becomes saved. You remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus and the rich man looked across and saw Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham and he said, send Lazarus and may dip his finger in water then may place a drop of water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham told the rich man, you remember in this life, you had the good things, and you chose the things of this world. Lazarus, he got the short end of the stick. He didn't have it so good in this life, but now he is comforted. But Abraham said this, he said, beside, there is a great gulf fixed that no man can pass over. Nobody can come from where you are to where I am, and nobody can go from where I am over to where you are. There is a great gulf fixed between the two. When one becomes saved and the other one is still lost, that great gulf, in effect, is what takes place in between the two. The difference in the great gulf there is that it can never be changed. The great gulf in the marriage, thank you, Jesus, can be, because the other one can be saved. The gulf can be closed. But the Bible says, if they'll stay with you, stay with them. That's what Paul is talking about here Um, as he's dealing with it. So Paul, Paul says, as long as the unsaved person will remain, let him remain for the the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Now, verse 11 says, but if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and let not the husband put away his wife that's still not referring to a divorce. When it's talking about if the one that's lost wants to go away and, and let him go away, it's still not referring to a divorce because the word for depart means to place room in between, and the word for reconciled right there means to carry the idea of a change. So it carries the possibility that some time away from each other might create a change in the heart of the one that's lost, that the two of them might be reunited. The Bible is always in context. The Bible always stays in tune And I can tell you without any doubt that with God, all things are possible, even when they seem impossible. I said, with God, all things are possible, even when they seem impossible. Love covers a multitude of sin. Amen? Then we see in the verses that there's no special treatment there for the man or the woman. Paul deals with both of them. Um, They're both equally accountable. A lot of times, it seems like in the Bible... Just looking, you seem like the woman gets the short end of the stick a lot of times. We know we do that in the Easter play where the woman's brought in the case of adultery, and we've looked at that several times. The man wasn't brought, so it seems like she kind of got brought out a little unfairly. But here, Paul's pretty straight up. He's dealing with both the same. Both the man and the woman are held to the same accountability. The fact that the unbelieving partner is willing to stay brings some kind of hope. That that there might be salvation come unto the other one. 2 Corinthians chapter six, when we get there, we'll we'll deal a little bit more, as I told you, with with not marrying into unequally yoked. But you can't help it when you're already married and you get saved. You don't want to help it when you get saved. You just think, Jesus, it happened. Um <clears throat> The conversion of, of one brings a new dimension of holiness into the home. That's one of the things that Paul is talking about here, and I'll get to the children in just a minute. But it, it brings a, a new holy and Christian lifestyle into the home. Basically, what has happened is the Holy Spirit has now invaded that home. as a home that was lost. It was in total darkness, but now light has entered into the home. Through the one that got saved. And now you have that that comes in and brings light into the home. And when light is present, darkness has to flee. So it brings a whole new picture now that the Holy Spirit has moved into that home. So the unbeliever may stay there. But as long as that unbeliever is there, the Holy Spirit will work within that home. The Holy Spirit will be using the one that got saved as a drawing card to try try and draw that other one in. And the longer the unbeliever stays at that home. And the longer the believer is saved, the more like Jesus it becomes, the more that the person that's lost has the inability to to deny the changes. Everybody around us should have seen the changes when we got saved. I'm not the only one that people had things to say like, we'll see how long that lasts. (laughs) Yeah, sure he did. Yeah, yeah, okay. We'll see how that works out. Maybe I am the only one that people said that about. Paul said, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. That word sanctified means set apart. It does not mean salvation. By staying, if you're a husband or a wife, and you have a lost mate, and you think staying with them gets them saved, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. Salvation is a personal decision that must be made by every person. You cannot just stay with them and that get them saved, but the Bible does use the word "sanctified," because it does have them set apart, because it does bring that holiness into your house. It does bring a change into the environment. It does bring an opportunity for them to be saved. So there is sanctification, that they are now set apart from the things of the world, set apart from the way things used to be in that house. Exposure. Anybody agree that the more exposure you have to the gospel, the better it is? Yeah. Verse number 14, Paul, there at the end of the verse, he mentions the children. He said, else were your children unclean. But now are they holy. The word for holy there is hagel's it is an adjective form of the word sanctified that he used earlier there in the text but the children as well as the unbelieving partner have now been brought under a roof where the holy spirit is present in the house thank god for the children the children are now being brought into the knowledge of the lord jesus christ it is the responsibility of the believing partner to read the bible it is the responsibility of the believing partner to to pray to pray for the family. It is the responsibility of the believing partner to make sure that the children get up and go to church. I'll just pause right there for a minute, but it's a shame in today's world that how many of you women have to get up and bring your children to church by yourself because of a bunch of sorry men in today's day and time that lay around in bed on Sunday morning and let the women do all the work. The women have to be the spiritual example that they weren't set up to be in the beginning by God. But in, a, in the world that we're in today, I thank God for women that will get up and get the children ready and get them to the house of God. But if one won't, it's the responsibility of the one that will. The one, the one that is saved, the one that is living the life, it becomes the responsibility of that one. In the case of a, of a mixed marriage there we have a believer and an unbeliever, the believer has a missionary potential, if you will within their own home. That they are a missionary within their own house. The greatest mission field they have is inside the four walls of their own home because the people they care the absolute most about on this planet are the ones that they're trying to tell about Jesus. Verse number 15 says, but if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. Brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. So if the unbeliever chooses to leave, you can't stop that. You can't back up on your convictions just to get them to stay. You can't denounce your salvation just to get them to change their mind and stay in the house. You're a saved, born-again child of God, and if they decide they can't live with that, they got to go. You can't back up on your salvation to let them go. You just let them go. But you still have to love them in Christ. It, it talks a, about peaceable, we're, we're peaceable, so we're, we're still, um, I guess you'd say, take it like a Christian and move on, amen? amen. Two, two views on this, and then we're going to pray. Paul says of the believer that's left behind, that he's not under bondage. That phrase there means to be enslaved. One point of view is that the believer is no longer under any bondage to have to take care of that person any longer, whatever the responsibility was that you took to the other one. you no longer have to do that, you no longer have to um, pay the bills or you no longer have to provide food or clothing or shelter for that person, you no longer have to cook for that person, you no longer wash clothes for that person you are freed from the bondage of the marriage. You no longer have to do any of the deeds to take care of them. They're not under any form of bondage for the unbeliever, the one that has departed. We're not to be at odds with them. That's what it talks about, peaceable, because we're Christians. And God has called us to peace. But it does not mean that the believer is now free to marry again because the laws of God concerning marriage remain the same and the only cause for divorce would be unfaithfulness. That's one point of view. Another point of view, same text. says that when the unbeliever abandons the believer, that the believer is no longer under the bondage of marriage. Therefore, the believer who has been abandoned is now free to marry again as long as they marry a believer. Now, I'll tell you why I gave you both sides. One, because probably a lot of questions. But in teaching Bible college... Um, and in teaching for a doctorate, you're teaching pastors and preachers. And For every text that you teach on, you have to teach every interpretation that there is. That there are four or five interpretations of a particular text. I have to study every interpretation. And I have to teach every interpretation. Because preachers will at some point in time hear every interpretation. But at the end of it, you have to teach which interpretation you believe, and why. In this case, I believe that if the believer has done everything that they can to try to convert the unbeliever, they've done everything they can to to try to save the marriage, they've done everything they can to try to witness to the one that's lost, tell them about Jesus, bring them into the nurture and admonition of the Lord, do everything they can to try to get them saved, they've invited them to church, they've tried to get them to go up, they've they've lived the testimony in front of them, and the unbeliever walked out wanting nothing to do with their God, wanting nothing to do with their salvation, and they walk out the door, then I believe that the believer is freed from the bondage of marriage at that point. I believe that the believer can be married again. That's what I believe. But that has nothing to do with what I believe about the laws of the bishop or the deacon. I do believe that if somebody gets saved after they were married, and the other person absolutely won't hear of it, and I'm sure everybody in this place knows somebody that fits that description. Two people, they're out here. One of them got saved. There's this radical change. They start going to church. They become... The child of God doing all they can. The other one over here is still lost and stays lost. And they finally wind up separated. The one that's lost takes of the things of the world. You have the one that was saved. I believe that that person is freed from that. Because they did everything they could to get them to stay. And, and they've been abandoned. And they were abandoned because they chose to serve God. But it doesn't change the laws of God when it comes to the office of the bishop and the office of the deacon. Because the laws of God are without compromise, the church is the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. There will never be another church. We are the church. Jesus ain't going to dump us off, although he has every right to because we ain't no good. Think think about all the people of the church and the wine and the wine and all that goes on. If that was your wife, would you want to keep it? Or your husband, I guess I should put that both ways, but it is the bride. Think think about all Jesus puts up with with his bride. But he's not going to write us off. He's not going to get rid of us. Um, there, there's not going to be, thank you Jesus, there's not going to be uh, another bride, we're it. God has the right to choose who he puts as bishop and as deacons. God has a right to choose what He puts in charge of His church. In in charge, matter of fact, there's only two biblical offices within the church. There's the bishop and the deacons. That's it. Everything else are man made positions. Everything else we have, youth pastors, associate pastors, secretaries—those are all man made positions. You study the Word of God. You have two positions. You have a bishop, and you have a deacon. The Bible is very clear in First Timothy chapter three and in Titus chapter one about what the qualifications of those positions are. And one of the words that it uses in there is that he must be the husband of one wife. A lot of people want to say, well, that's talking about polygamy. No, it's not. The New Testament's not dealing with polygamy at all. But a lot of times you simply have to use the Greek and see where it comes from. So if you use the Greek word referring to the one wife, the other interpretation of that same Greek word is first. So here's your two options: you can use first or only, or or first or one, or you can pull the original root word where it comes from, of which interpretation is only. So you have three interpretations that simply says that for a bishop or a deacon, he must be the husband of his one first and only wife. So here's the deal: divorce is a sin, just like lying, just like cheating, just like stealing just like what every one of us in here are guilty of. All sins forgiven by God. Amen? All cleansed by the blood of the Lamb and gone. To anybody that will come to Jesus and come with a repentant heart and ask for forgiveness of sins, that forgiveness is gone. I believe that God wants His children happy. I believe God wants His children happily married. And I believe it involves one of them heading off and taking the things of the world to be married to somebody else that is a child of God they can serve together. I believe God even wants that. It's better than for them to live miserable. Somebody goes to the world, they're not going to be saved. But that doesn't change the laws of God. Just because God allows it and he does everything. I've had somebody tell me recently. I I, I shared with y'all probably even last week that somebody said in divorce, everybody loses. There are no winners. I shared that one, one brother was trying to help another brother and said, there are no winners. Everybody loses. But I had a brother tell me he felt kind of like Job. He said, the one I got now is twice as good as the one I lost. He's probably not the only one that thinks that way. There's happiness on, on the other side. Paul is dealing with, with this subject right here, and he's not dealing at all with the office of the bishop. I'm just telling you, when I, when I tell you that I believe that there's marriage on the other side of divorce and that I believe God's right in the middle of it, that God uses those couples, I want you to understand that I believe that, but that has nothing to do with the laws concerning the bishop and the deacon. Amen? Well, let's take some time and pray. Lord willing, we'll, we'll move on next week. we got just about enough time to pray before they're going to let the chillings go. And we'll go down there and get them. So if y'all want to take some time, certainly if you would, you heard the prayer request um, that we opened up with. If you could lift those needs up, um, those prayer requests. I'll be honest, I even looked at kind of almost skipping beyond this chapter. I looked at skipping beyond the second part of this chapter. Um, But whether they're in here or not makes no difference. The fact is there are a lot of marriages within our church that are struggling. And not just within our church. There are a lot of marriages around us of people we know that are struggling. So the more I looked at it, I would have to answer to God if I just skipped over that chapter because it was dealing with marriage. A lot of times, I probably ask the questions that y'all do, God. It would be good if we did that on a Sunday morning, wouldn't it? Because so-and-so would be there. Y'all tell me I ain't the only one that ever thinks I wish somebody would have been there. I'm I'm a heathen. I might quit being so transparent with y'all. I'm the only one that thinks the things I think. just to ask you while you're praying I don't want to interrupt your prayer you keep on praying if there's anybody in this evening you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior that's the one you got to get right you're the one we've been talking about all night you're the one in the party that's still lost the one that didn't get saved you're, you're the one on the other side you're the one that, that Christ is still trying to reach to you're the one that Jesus died on the cross for he did for me But I've accepted my gift. He did for every child of God in this place. But they've accepted their gift. They're still sinners just like me. They're just sinners saved by grace. But for those that have never accepted the gift, they're still on the way to hell. Wouldn't it be awesome to change that tonight? Because you can. Same way the rest of us did. We just gave our hearts to Jesus. We just ask him, Lord Jesus, will you come into our heart? We just ask the Lord Jesus to forgive us of our sins. We just ask the Lord Jesus to save our soul. We just accepted the free gift that God offered. God put his own son on a cross for my sin so that I could be saved. And those others who were saved, all we did was accepted the gift that God offered, which is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can do the same thing tonight. You just got to accept the gift.